Hey everyone, this is Lovely with the Financial Grio Podcast. We are going to have a fun time today because we have a special guest. And myself and Lawrence is here. And Lance is unfortunately not here. She's working, allegedly, because we're not really sure. We're going to say she's, she's working. She's always dating her. somebody. So behind the scenes, something's going on with Lantha, but she's not here. But we're happy to have our special guest. And we're going to deep dive into, of course, everything that we talk about, which is money, life, everything that helps you become a better person and get your what we call, what is that thing? Your financial wellness. There's a word that you use, Lauren. So what's that? FI, the little equation that you have? Oh, financial independence or financial IQ. Trying to get your financial yeah, IQ. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got Sina out here. She has her phone ringing. You could actually put your stuff on mute anytime that you're not speaking, please. How about that? How about that? How about you do that? I'm trying to learn how to no, mute like, It's too late now. Can you tell like, hey, everybody, this is our guest, St. Uh, Jean Baptiste. She's here. She's uh, going to tell us a little bit about herself. We brought her on because she does have a unique story and a perspective that I think is going to really uh, benefit you and enrich your life. And as well, ever since FinCon, we've been trying to bring in even more guests and even share their stories. So let's go. Let's get this party started. No, no pressure. No pressure. Who are you? Hey. Hi, guys. My name is Saint. Um, Saint Jean-Baptiste, just to slightly correct Lawrence there. Um, Haitian born. What? In- I said Jean-Baptiste. Good. It's Jean-Baptiste. Um, I don't translate my name, but... <laughs> um, Born and raised in Haiti, kind of came here um, when I was about 12, 13, been in the U.S., went to Florida State University for undergrad and master's, um, had um, studied accounting, got my master's in accounting as well, and um, became a CPA that same year. I've been in the field for a couple of years and um, started a nonprofit while I was in college, and it's still going on. Um, on, And now I'm on a journey to really educate people on financial um, stuff, especially tax related items in a way that they can understand it easily. And I work with thriving thriving entrepreneurs and professionals and kind of strategically plan their finances with tax in mind. Oh, you know what's funny? She says stuff like the Haitians always say, no, no by guy. You know, like, you know, yeah. by guy. By guy is anything. It's yeah. always like this generic thing that exists. It's, you know, mal parle de bagayo, you know, there's stuff, stuff is stuff. And, and it sounds very funny because your your story is actually counter to mine, where I actually didn't finish uh, my uh, tenure at Florida State in the best way, or that I didn't even get my CPA stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a college gra- dropout. You know, just like Kanye West. Yeah, I'm a failure. Sad. (laughs) See, she's a person I would have been if I actually continued the right way. Wow, 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 wow. You ever heard of good trouble? You're like the good dropout. Uh, Yeah, um, God really kind of looked out for me. I can't even say that for myself. In the end of the day, I'm like, oh, how did I end up here? And then when you look back, you're like, hey, I still kind of made it. So it's not bad. Not bad. All the other people worked hard and I just kind of barely did it. Wow, 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 wow. Now I'm so, away. You feel some time away about it? Okay. Oh, hey, maybe you, did, I done less. <laughs> you mentioned your 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 non-for-profit. I remember the name being Walk in My Shoes. Walk my yeah. shoes, yes. Walk my shoes. Okay. So what is that all about? I want to know what what was it like to walk in your shoes? Okay, so a little okay. I'm gonna try and make sure I don't get too passionate and talk too long on this part. But um, so the story of how it started, um, I went to um, two years after graduating high school, I was studying abroad. And then I get news that one of my high school classmates had committed suicide. And um, that really just touched me. And, you know, back in the day, what people do, they go on that person's page and they put rest in peace. I was I was just I was one distraught, but also I felt like it would be hypocritical of me to like put this rest in peace for this person who can't read it. And the last time I talked to him was in high school, never checked back, never, you know, reached out. And and then I thought about our last interaction and we were in, in class and this one teacher whose name shall not, shall not be um, called, she asked me, what college are you going to? And I was like, oh, I'm thinking about FSU. And then she asked him and, and then she was like, what about you? And she goes, you don't got an answer. You ain't going nowhere. And that's the last interaction I remember with this person. I'm like, and now thinking, hearing about his suicidal, I think, man, I wonder how many people wrote him off. And I wonder how many, how many more situations like that, like for you to get to a point where you just take your life. So that's, um, that's what inspired Walk My Shoes. And I wanted to 
I wanted, I felt like the best way to honor his legacy was to kind of reach out to pe people who I think would fit his description or his box and but before they get there like so I the program was recruiting kids the summer before they start high school so we recruited eighth graders um and it was a four-year commitment to them and really stepping into their lives like having relationships with their parents um building a relationship with the kids looking at their academics um and then exposing them to more the you know so that's the mentorship piece so that was um I guess our approach to like walk my shoes, stepping into someone else's life and making a difference. So, I love that. I actually, re I mean, I actually never knew the the backstory to it. So, Xavier makes a lot more sense contextually. And um, coming from that kind of space in uh, Florida, I did hear a lot of those type of uh, negative statements, especially um, directed towards um, young black men uh, yeah. or young black boys at the time because they're just boys. And they're always being told by the teachers or administrators or even security guards that they're not going to be anything. They're not going to do anything. And whereas in counter, I did, you know, I feel a certain way about it because I used to see those same teachers speak very highly of the young girls. So it was always like this double edged sword where, yeah, they treated one side OK and the other side was treated like, hey, just do whatever you want to do. So I did. I kind of did feel left out of the, the discussion of, you know, Going to college, I didn't even going to college with me was a, a second thought. It was kind of like, hey, I'm going to go to college because it's the thing to do. But it wasn't because I had a purpose to get there. So I think that's also part of it as well. So you went to college, you went to Florida State University, and you chose one of the hardest fields, in my opinion, is accounting. Why did you choose accounting? Or was it something you were always passionate about? Was it the teacher? Was it math? Especially since we, we have a lot of ladies that not really big on STEM right now. Yeah. But why did you jump in? Yeah, so the story kind of, it's a funny one. I actually thought um, I would end up in hospitality management um, because I, um, I don't know, in my head, I was going to go to college and be, um, and graduate and end up being a manager at a hotel in Paris. I don't know why I thought that was going to be a thing. But um, then I started the degree and I'm one of those people when I'm not challenged, I actually underperform. So I had like this class about like pots and pens because hospitality kind of teach you both on the cooking side and the hotel side. And I was getting bees and I, and I was really upset. I was, I was really upset by that. Like um, this class is not even challenging and I'm getting, and, um, and so anyway, so that was already a thing. And then, you know, those major companies be recruiting at FSU. So I go to this recruitment thing, um, all these top Marriott or whatever, all these top companies are coming in. Sophomore year, I go for an interview. And at the end of the interview, I ask the guy, like, what's the starting salary? And that's after he tells me, like, how hospitality works. You kind of, for the first few weeks, you have to practice doing everything. So you have to try, Um, they're going to put you in cleaning the rooms, fixing the beds so you can understand what, like how the hotel runs, all this type of stuff. And, um, and I was like, yeah, what's the starting salary? And he said a salary. I'm not going to say because I don't want anyone to feel offended, especially. No, no, you got to say, you got to, you got to share what it is. We could also look it up. I could definitely say it's like, it's yeah, well, at the time it was a couple of years ago, but yeah. I think he said something around like 30 to 40 K. Yeah. And, um, and that, I, that was just not good for my spirit. Like I heard it and I was just like the amount of stress I see these other people putting to get into this company just so you can get to 30K um, after graduating with a whole degree and then thinking about um, and then there are executives who make maybe the 200 or whatever in that career, but those are the old people. They're in their 60s, 70s. That's when you start making, and that's just, um, so I walk, um, I, I, and the interview ended um, naturally. I didn't rush it. I, it ended, I said, thank you. And I took that little bus right to the College of Business. And I asked the advisor there, I need two things. One, I need a major that challenges me. I know I wanted to be in the College of Business. And two, I need something that that pays well. So I so then they told me MIS, um, accounting, finance. And I looked at the curriculums and I said, accounting seems good. And that time I did my homework. I looked at their starting salary, you know, <laughs> and that's how I ended up in accounting. Man, I love that because that just shows like the reality of everything we've probably said in, in a couple of episodes, which is you look at it very pragmatically. Like, yeah, that sounds cool, this whole telling parents, but it's not about to pay these bills. 
it's not going to actually get me to be able to be advancing. And I'm glad that you took the chance, the risk to do that. Um, quick question. When you made that decision to go to that office and say, hey, I'm going into the business of school, give me the curriculum, let me know the information. Did you have anybody in your circle that looked at you and said, hey, like, why are you doing this? Like, what's your passion? Or did you just do it without consulting anyone because you knew within yourself that this is what you needed to do? Um, no. So like, I, I kind of, I guess maybe contrary to many other Haitian kids, I kind of moved by my decisions. Like no one in my family really like, let's talk, let's see what Saint want to do. So in a way they've all, they've always made me feel like they trust my decision. So like, because everything I did, they felt like I excelled in. So and so I, I wasn't um, used to like, oh, I think about changing my major. Let me call my mom because I, I guess I just assumed she would like it. But funny enough, when I ended up telling her I'm doing accounting, she was disappointed. She didn't know what hospitality management was anyway. But when she heard about accounting, she was disappointed. But the thing with that, she um, back in Haiti, because I grew up in Haiti, um, back in Haiti, People who get this major, the the most they're most likely gonna end up working as a bank teller. And so to her, like to my family, by the way, guys, I'm like a genius. I don't know. I try and tell them all the time, like I'm not that, like, you know, but to them, so to my mom, it's like, you're so smart. Why would you study to be a bank teller? Like you wasting this intelligence I passed down to you. So that's how she felt until. I um I started getting um interviewed or recruited by the top com um, accounting firms and they started flying me down having me stay at the nicest hotel the same hotel Obama would stay in when I come and so oh my mom started calling people talking about oh yeah let's sit fun even man like I last and hotel accounting we yeah it's different because yeah, I guess in, in Haiti they call it contab. So, yeah, so it's, yeah. Like, it's like it's just contab is just a generic field in which you could end up in any form of accounting taxation or not taxation and auditing. You just call it contab. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It probably yeah. even incorporates finance too, probably. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a curse. It's like it's like the company is showing me out for my mom to appreciate this this degree. And then someone explained to her what CPA was. Oh, that's all she says now. Because it says CPA that's what's up that's what's up like it's interesting to to hear your story and the way that you uh your maturity at the time as well to know that 30 or 40 was not a, you know a really you know, um a desirable um salary for yourself because there's a lot of people i think the mckinsey and um company uh 2020 report actually showed a lot of uh black people um specifically black people if we're talking about it right now are centered in lower income type of jobs and salaries so we're a majority of us um, are actually making less than fifty thousand dollars as a household especially even in 2021 numbers so it's showing that we might need to push a little bit beyond what we know to something else because for me 30k was like a highlight my mom worked at Walmart. My my aunt worked at McDonald's, you know, like as a manager. I don't think them making 30 was like the apex anyways, right? So in my mind, making 30 was at the time was like, wow, I'm actually balling right now. I'm going to be doing the best I can. And especially in the state of Florida too, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's crazy? My mom, um, that's another backstory, but like um, the U.S. kind of flipped life for us, right? We went from like living really privileged um, life in Haiti and then coming here and then reality hits because my mom was actually, um, she didn't finish school. She never finished um, her formative schooling um, because my grandmother was completely illiterate. So didn't think about school being a big thing. So my mom had to enroll herself in school. That means she was already older, whatever, long story short. Um, that's why she pushes education so much. But now when you come to this country, you don't have that education piece. What do you do? You have to get jobs that fits that. So my mom started working in hotels as a housekeeper. Um, so which which is why I'm like, I don't know why I wanted to end up in them. I don't know. I think maybe my mind thought I wanted to be the managers in those spaces. I don't know. But um, so when I was applying for college, that's when I realized how little my mom's paycheck was because you have to apply for financial aid and you need their tax, um, their income tax um papers. And I realized my mom was like barely making like 18K a year at the time, like really low. But even with that, I just knew like college, barely, college costs about 30K in like two semesters. I'm not about to get a whole degree 
to get paid, get stuck in 30, 40 K for the next, um, for the next, because these places, they don't increase your salary like that. You'll be spending like five, six, 10 years and that 40, 45, and then they think about increasing it. I, I was very, I was very mindful of that. And sorry, I know I'm, I'll quickly say this. I want to take this moment, especially if someone is in college listening to this or parents of kids, these are the type of conversations you need to have with your kids before going to college. What is the return on investment if you are getting loans to get a degree? Like, I think if you're getting loans to get a degree and then, um, that degree you don't understand like how it's gonna pay or whatever like I think responsibility wise you owe it to yourself to look at like what will I be making at the end of this because you you're getting loans to, to get this degree so I don't know that's my two cents on that did, I guess did your mom talk to you about this or like how did you know you know uh your that return on investment return on your education how did you kind of contextualize that or is it something that your mom talked to you about or your aunt or was it your community or is it something that innately just kind of clicked for you? Yeah, I think I was one of those weird kids. Like even my brother, not too long ago, he told me, he's like, sis, you self-made. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Because I'm very big on like, I'm who I am because my community. But he's like, no, like a lot of decisions we realize we didn't teach you this. Like, I don't know how it came, but you made these decisions and it was all you like we're amazed and we're grateful for it and we're proud of you but we can honestly say like nobody guided you to that so I, I guess I just I in my head there's a lifestyle I wanted to live and um I wanted to live comfortably I don't know why I didn't think making 30 when my mom was making 18 it wouldn't be comfortable but I just I just knew I, I don't know <laughs> Okay, recently there's been a lot of uh, back and forth on social media regards to um, just first generation or black immigrants um, and their their struggles or how they kind of perceive themselves in the US. Uh, I would say, did growing up, did you think there was a perceived advantage from you having to live in Haiti before and coming here? Was it like a difference for you of how you strove through college or like, how did you internalize the experience? Yeah, um, I'll talk about that because, and I don't think it's the same across the board, like being from Haiti and living here, everybody kind of follow the same line. Perfect example, me and my siblings, my younger brothers, completely opposite path. They don't want to go to college. Um, there's different, just their journey is completely different. I do think what worked in my benefit is that I went to a really good school in Haiti um, and that school instilled so much pride. It's it's considered like a one of the you know the Catholic school. Name name drop the school. You could you know you got name drop the schools. Yeah, like, act like they don't know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I went to Collège Sylvie de Boudon, which is one of the Catholic schools. Um, it's uh, like what it's somewhat a prestigious. It's really school. nice. It's really nice. I think I went. I tried to apply there. I don't know if I ever got in or not, but I it think would I be applied. All girls. <laughs> I remember that. I remember I'm like, when, you, when you go to like the, the, the campus itself and you rolled up, it's like, it's legit. It's pristine. It's like, it's a different type of vibe. I think they even have, I think they try to sell me on the idea that they had like a pool, a swimming pool. Or maybe oh, I, I, just made that I think you're thinking about Saint-Louis Gonzague. Oh, okay. See, look, look at you knew all yeah. the different prestigious ones. I had no idea. Well, because like they're like boys and girls, right? Okay, My so I was on the boys side then. All right. Henry Gonzaga is the one that has a pool. They have volleyball. They're they're like. They're so, okay, up. I was I was headed to the boys side, and you yeah. were going to the uh, the girls side. Uh, yeah, yeah. Henry Gonzaga is up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I get it because mine start with Henry. So we're they're Henry de Gonzaga. I, I was too. I was too hood for them though. I was like, man, this guy's a little bit like in the poor side. <laughs> I don't know if he's ready. <laughs> but they're hood they just they just hide it better but um anyway with Sandrine Boudon what I uh, what I wanted to say with that is um attending those schools in Haiti they instill so much pride in you one sometimes it's not always great they make you feel like you're better than the other people who cannot afford that type of school right you above them like certain things like you don't eat in the streets because we're not like anybody you da 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 da, da right so you have all these, um, I have all this pride built in me and, and I was raised in Haiti. So it's not like to me being Haitian wasn't even a thought, like I'm, I'm a proud Haitian. Of course I am like, right. So then I come to the U S 
and I we stayed in little Haiti when we when we first moved. And you know, it's African Americans, Haitians. And and then that's when I encountered people trying to talk Haitians down. I was confused. I was like, what? Does he know who I am? <laughs> so like that type of pride, I I, I want to push on that because I think knowing, having like been filled with so much pride in who I am and um, growing up, like coming here at like 13, I had so much knowledge of self that nobody was going to tell me like Haitians are trash and for me to be ashamed of who I am. No, like I am the person like I'm just saying something I, I understand because I took English in Haiti. I would understand, but I can't repeat or respond. Instead of shying away, I respond to them in French just so they can feel trash. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm good. Like, I don't even care to talk to you. But- yeah, people don't know about this, but Florida was a very interesting space for you when you were young and growing up because there was oh. a lot of animosity between kids and kids are typically mean to each other. So there's always a reason or a way that people kind of go back and forth, but it does exist like that. It exists. And it was the exact opposite for my younger brothers because they were much younger when they left Haiti. They didn't get to be filled with all this pride. So then they come here um and then like you know they get this and they felt the need to prove that they're american actually they my mom actually gave birth to them here so they're like mm, the land. Really but like my mom was really big on raising us in haiti but the time we moved here they were still four or five so they didn't have that awareness so they they fell into trying to fit in and it's we you can see our paths are like vastly different knowing who you are. And I see the same for like some of my close friends who moved here with a younger sister. The older one who's my age turned out like me so, somewhat. And the younger one is like finding themselves and like, yeah, it's different. That goes back to that deep side of like that identity question. And I think when we talk about like financial literacy or we talk about making changes in our life and doing things that are big, we underestimate identity. That key right there well, literally it can be exactly what you said because you had that instilled in you. Hey, I'm uh, I'm somebody to do excellent. I'm not I'm not just nobody. Yeah. Regardless of even being put in a hostile environment, you rose above it because in your ear, you knew I was excellent. I am, I don't care what you say. But then the other group of the younger children are like, mm, I don't really know who I am yet. I'm still assimilating. And I do understand like um here in the States, the, the teachers in the schools, especially like the regular public schools, they're not instilling any of that. There's no pride. There's like, like Lauren said, like he watched them like, okay, these girls are getting these kudos and immediately me, I'm the troublemaker. Like, oh no, we got immediate C. Like, it's like, hey, that yeah. kid, no matter what you did, you got to see. Like, I'm like, what bearing do you make of this? Like, it's like, is it my work that you did this? No, you just gave no. the kid a C. Like we, they literally gave a C. Like they start at the C at, at your peak. They they kind of they squint. Do I give them the B? Nah, C is a C plus. <laughs> C plus. These teachers, and that's another thing with me doing walk my shoes. We were um so mindful that like the teachers are not always right, and all Haitian parents think the teachers are always right. If they mm-hmm. say this, then you they know you're wrong, and that's something we had to teach the parents of our of our students, and that like. I need you to advocate for your kid because I've been in the system. I these teachers, especially, and I don't. I won't say public schools. I think it's black. You know, black predominantly Miami Dade, the ones we know, because those teachers, nobody's checking them. They really feel like they do whatever they want. Like a teacher would be like, they don't like this kid. I'm giving you 10 Z's. What do you mean you're giving them 10 Z's? You know, this impacts their GPA, and that will determine if they can get into a college. And you're just giving them 10 Z's because you feel like it? Oh, I didn't wake up on the right side of the bed today. I'm giving everybody five Z's. That's going to plunge your deep. But like they're that last. And um, we had a kid in our program that like um, the teacher, we saw their grades was terrible. So we're like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, the teacher don't like me. She be giving me F's. And I'm like, what do you mean? So we go to the school and we're like, we need to have a parent-teacher conference, whatever needs to happen. And you need to explain these Z's and like, w- like you need to explain this. And that, that teacher has never been challenged before because most of the kids in those schools, their parents are working two jobs. The parents are not, they, they don't have the capacity to be that involved in advocating on behalf of these kids, right? And then um, the teachers know nobody checks them. They can say whatever they want 
And I know this lady, she loved me, so I'm not going to say her name, but she would say the wildest stuff to these kids at Edison. And it would be girls and boys. She'd be like, you know, those pants are too tight. You're going to end up having this, like saying crazy stuff to these girls. And I'm like, what? But yeah, yeah there's something to be said about the professionalism or even just the, the radical change when it comes to teaching and how important it is in regards to grooming people to be a better version of themselves. And especially if you tell them day in, day out that they're not this, they're not that. And the parents, because the, like you said, the parents are busy and they assume that the kid is getting graded accurately or fairly, but they have no idea on the inside. Sometimes it's not as fair at all. Sometimes the kid is a trash kid. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, so, some kids are, kids are the little suspect kids. But yeah. there, there's a whole bunch of other people that because of years of indoctrination of being called a failure, what do you expect them to be, you know, to be in the end? Where, where do you think their trajectory is going to go? And to your point, there's a lot of kids, especially I call it out specifically Miami Day because I'm from there or even yeah. the state of Florida has a really poor education system. Whereas some of the teachers not even qualified, be honest with you, they got like a couple that you could get a certification for a couple hours and then you may be a substitute. And at some point when they run out of teachers, they, they, they almost like they, they promote the substitute to becoming a teacher. Like it's automatically. Like, I know people who just was like, oh, I'm not doing anything this week. Let me sub real quick. Yeah, like you could literally become a sub as long as you have a, a pretty decent, uh, not no, no criminal record and pretty decent credit. You could slide in as, as, a, as a sub. And then majority of the time, and I joke about it with Lovely in Atlanta sometimes or even on, tell it on the podcast that we used to just watch like bootleg movies. That's what we used to, that, that used to take up the time. That was it. That was the education. That was the fundamentals. That was the idea. I think there's something to be said about that. And there is some unique challenges to being a, an immigrant in this um, re retrospect. Lovely. Um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot. This is like fully packed because I tell this to my, um, my friend because we went to middle school together in high school. Had we understood what was happening beyond, around us, we would have been a lot further. Because I remember in high school, the, for whatever reason, the principal took really, really liking to me and my friend. And she, her doctor, her husband was a doctor. She was literally working just because she wanted to work, not because she needed to work. She wanted to work. And we were kind of exposed, like she would, you know, like take us out, pick us up from to do things, like in her luxury car. And it's just like all this exposure. But if you realize that that person took a liking to you, that could have been your mentor. That could have been someone that you have not only while you were in school, but keeping up with these relationships after graduating. We're not taught these things because our parents come and all we see is that they have to go to work. They come back home super tired. You don't see them going out to, to brunch or, or, or lunch dinners with people to make connections, to, to bridge these different things. So you, you, there's a whole culture that we came here in the United States. But then if you actually think about where we come from in Haiti, this stuff does happen, right? You see the networking, you see the relationship building. But then here we come as like workhouses and just really have to focus on because if, you if you're not making more than $24,000 and you have three kids, like I don't think lunch and dinner is on your mind to be going to network, you know? So property essentially impacts people on so much level. It is a disease. Like, it's really bad. Like, I think when we think about it, we talk about it. Yes, we survive. We're like, yeah, you know, like all this hardship happened really helps us. But we, I, I think about it all the time. There's a lot of catalysts that we did not have. There's a lot of like forward movement that we we're missing out on because you're right. When something happened in your school, your parent that works most of the time that was probably just, you got picked up by the bus and you, you walk back home. Them coming to a parent teacher meeting is like, what did you do? It's, it's never like I remember one time my my, my um, professor in elementary till this day I remember it asked my mom to come the whole week my mom was like oh what did you do so fed that, so angry to hear from my professor I think your daughter might be gifted and you might need to like figure out like how do you want to put her in a challenging thing because wow. I think lovely's not that's why when you mentioned the whole like one thing something doesn't challenge you underperform he's like I don't think she's underperforming in these classes because she's not smart I think she thinks that this is way beyond her and her brain and she's not challenged Your but my mom was like, you know, like it. I don't feel like it <laughs> Yeah, because my brother was also considered gifted. And what ended up happening is because my mom worked so much, those programs required so much of her. We were never put in those programs, right? So I think back, like, had I been in those programs, like, right, what I'm doing now could have been what I was doing at 22, 
because the confidence gap, the lack of the identity, like it's taking me a lot longer because I had to like then be bridged to understand, no, like you're not having problems because you don't know you're unchallenged. And so it took me until I was 20, 21, 22 to realize that. But had I been in those programs, I think my trajectory would have been completely different. You know, um, I almost first part of nursing, I almost failed because I didn't recognize that I don't learn the way they were teaching. And when I actually said, I'm going to stop listening to the professor and learn the material like on my own, I was getting high scores. So it's like all this stuff that we didn't get, it, it makes a big difference. And um, we can't, I don't blame my mom because I understand like when I go look at her social security and I'm like, dang babes, you were not making no money. Like how were we eating? Like we never had a day that we did not eat. We never had a day the fridge wasn't filled. I'm like, what magic were you doing with this money? Because it's not adding up. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that we definitely need to continue to, we get to do better, right? Yeah. We get to do better. Um, and I think Lawrence has some things that he want to share, but essentially like we get to do better and I'm glad that we are making better progress. So our children or in the people behind us as well can do better. Can I say something real quick? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You don't have to raise yeah, your hand like you're in class. You. <laughs> She's like, just raise your hand in class. But like you said something that really triggered me. I have, I have, well, positively, I have to um, give the proper shout out to, impact um I don't think they're still going on that's that's another thing that happened for me I came from Haiti with all this confidence came in the middle of ninth um no seventh grade year I had this crazy exposure to you know like Edison little Haiti life and then right at eighth grade year my which is my second year in the U.S. eighth grade year this program comes and it's a science marine biology program called impact and I apply. And so I applied to, to this program and because all the smart kids were applying, that's, that like did it for me because there, it was a mentorship program, not like as involved as what my shoes was, but them they had like, during the week, you can go anytime. And it was in Vizcaya. So I go to these areas, see these nice houses because we take the train and it was so normal for us to be taking the train, going to Vizcaya, and um, over the summer, they have a summer long program for us. Every two days, we're going snorkeling. We're like learning marine biology, which is not something I necessarily like. I don't think I ever had a passion for marine biology, but I just thought this is a program that if you're smart, you get in it. And that program, they're the ones who told me the FAFSA, making sure we had a FAFSA party. The first day it opens, it used to be January 1st. We're all on the computer applying for FAFSA. They're reviewing our scholarship, um, uh, all this stuff. And a lot of us who went through this program, my friend, she got a full ride. Um, she got the Bill Gates scholarship, which covers your entire college years. We, like five of us got the Dell scholarship, which was, it gave each of us $20,000 plus laptops, plus like anything that happens to your laptop, there's a replacement. So we got so much exposure. Plus laptops? And, yeah, yeah. Continue, laptops continue. and and then they changed it for us every two years. And if there's any issue, they send a technician to your house to come fix it. Um, so, and then they gave a stipend for books um, throughout the year. So things like that. And then like this program exposing us to mentors and we see like our mentors were like UM students who are marine biology and like really cool people. And then on top of that, because I was in that program, we I, I started looking how much surgeon make and, um, marine biologists and all this stuff. So I'm used to seeing the type of jobs we would look up being a hundred thousand or more. I think that's why when I saw 30, I thought it was low because I had been seeing like looking up things like that and what, how much they make. So this program really like, I'm sorry, I missed to say like change. Like they had, I, I, I literally um, can assign a huge chunk of, of my success to, to having a program like this. And that's what led me to, to walk my shoes because the difference with this program, they only took students with uh, like 3.5 GPA and up. And so for walk my shoes, one of my requirements is that we actually preferred the kids with lower GPAs because they're the ones who are not getting access to programs like this. And, um, and I basically wanted to replicate what impact was to me with walk my shoes, but with kids who, naturally would not get picked for something like that 
Um, so yes, thank you, lovely, mm, for I I love that. that. I love that because I think I was at one of those uh, NABA events one time, and I, it was it was interesting because they're always trying to close the gap and create more you know black CPAs. That's the big you know um, I guess reach as we climb or reach back. The idea of just pulling up other people as we climb, and we it was having like this like open town hall, and the question was asked like, why does it seem like the people that we're giving scholarships to? or not necessarily come back and giving back, blah, 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 blah. It was like an open dialogue. And I answered them, it's like, basically you're giving other people that always have opportunity, more opportunity. Whereas the people that really need it would, would cherish yeah. you forever. Yeah. Because that's the that's the, the economy of like scholarship is only the people that are already at the top that receive. This is why you get the, the, You're getting the, older, the yes. They're you getting get all older. the big, you know, headlines. Oh, this person got millions of dollars in scholarship uh, opportunity. Everyone is like, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's happy. But I'm like, what about every other kid that don't even have anything at all? And they would benefit a lot from even having just that one laptop or even somebody cares. Even $500 would have gone a long way of changing the way you even think about even giving back as well, because it impacted you so much. But if you get so much all the time, why do you care? <laughs> like if somebody give it to you, they don't remember you. You're, they, they grab the money and they go. And I, it's something that you said that, that you know triggered me because it reminded me of that moment. And I was trying to explain them to them, and I don't think they got it. Like you just wow. keep giving the people that are always at the top more. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. always very interesting. But to that point, I did want to kind of bring up the fact that the field of accounting is overwhelmingly white. That's what one uh, one writer wrote about, uh, I think her name is what, was Xenia Mute. And she wrote about it in the past, it's overwhelmingly to the point where it makes up around like 84% of white people. That's pretty much what it is. Majority of the, um, the US is pretty predominantly white anyways in regards to all these higher level fields. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what's more drawing about it is that it, even as far back as 2019, the AICPA surveyed and they found that 2% um, of CPAs are African-Americans give or take, like we represent 44 uh, million um, um, Americans. For some reason, we just don't have enough. And it's always been this long-term struggle of even organizations that the National Association of Black Accountants have been trying to fix. Majority of the partners, I guess only 1% of partners in CPA firms are African-Americans. So therefore your, your tenure at this uh, institution that you're at right now is pretty much, I, I, you're probably feeling it around you. You're feeling the fact that you're, you're one of the few. Why do you think we need more black CPAs or even better yet, more women CPAs or even women of color? Why do you think we need more of them? Um, representation is key. Um, and I don't know if this answers for future, but I'll tell you when I first started at um, my the company I work for, which like they heavily recorded me when I tell you Lawrence all the all the bells and whistles okay like went out of their way to like um when when they first started recruiting me I was a sophomore so um I wasn't where they needed me. I wasn't a junior yet to start interning with them they wanted to keep my attention so much that they're like well we're gonna invite you to conferences everything paid just so we can keep your attention until like junior year so we so you can apply for um for the internship. Internship, loved it. And then like next year, they're like, we're going to give you an internship in London at our headquarters. Ooh. Like all the bells and whistles, right? And I was being recruited by um, um, some other ones. Like it was mainly the big fours, right? So to get all this, and then I start work full time. And man, I was depressed. I'm like, I felt like they sold me a dream, okay? And um, I was so shocked. Um, I guess I didn't notice as a summer intern because I'm only there for six weeks. But when you're there long-term and um, I'm like, why am I the only black person in this office? I'm in Miami. I've never been anywhere in Miami where I'm the only black person. So in my head, I don't live in a predominantly white, <laughs> you know? But looking back, Miami is pretty much big on Cubans, but I didn't think that. So I've never been the only. I went to like high schools with like lots of black. I'm always about my community, my church, most surrounded, surrounded by others that look like me. So being in this profession, um, I'm in this office now and I'm the only black person. At first, it didn't, maybe it wouldn't bother me too much, but then when I look at my peers and the opportunities that they're getting, um, what I mean, like for a good um, few months when um, I started working, I was unassigned. Like they, they didn't have a client to put me on. So, and it's like I mentioned earlier, if I'm not being challenged, like it bothers the living out of me. Yes, I'm still getting paid because I'm a salaried employee, 
but you live with this like constant like um I don't want I guess I'll say fear for lack of a better word but like what will my reviews say because like in a way they're setting you up to fail because if you're not being assigned you can't show your improvement you're also not growing when it's time for reviews they're gonna have to put something for you and it's not gonna be good reviews so you're like stressed out and and but of course every time I get on the call it's like hey I am still on the sign I'm available if anyone needs da, 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 da. and then someone else who comes after me a Cuban person I'm like one day I literally cried because because we're in the elevator we're going home at some point and then I'm like how are you and she's like I'm good I'm just so swamped I'm like what do you mean she's like I have so much work I'm on this client that client Ah, oh, I was undone. I didn't like I I had to hold myself to not cry in front of the girl who who started like a couple of weeks after like just a couple of weeks ago. She is swamped with work and I'm unassigned. What do you mean she's swamped with work and I'm unassigned? That means there is work. Why 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 do I not have work? And I had I like yeah, I I it, it was tough. So Sorry, to answer your question, representation. I, I had to be real with myself. They naturally were pulling her on their projects because they're Cuban, she's Cuban. They like there's this weird conflict that they're not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a kinship. It's wonder. a kinship. They don't, yeah, they don't have to wonder who they, they don't are. Have to they wonder got, they if fit in with her. Like with me, they're like, oh, I don't, I, I'm thinking, right? Like, oh, I don't know how she's gonna fit in. Da, da, da. Uh, okay, let's just bring her in. And I called them out doing um, when the um, the recent, you know, upheavals with like racial and that, you know, um, all this stuff going on and they wanted to have town halls. Let's talk about it. By the time, by the way, I'm way past that now. But I say this to say to answer your question regarding why should there be more women, more blacks, more diversity up top, because I felt like when a new person comes in and they're the only one, they're not getting the opportunities, um, right? They're not getting the opportunities. They feel um, you lose yourself, your sense of confidence that you came in with, right? And you start wondering, like you, you're questioning your identity and all this stuff um, because there's no one advocating for you at the top. But I think that firm knows that because they have this rule that after your first year, they send you to this conference for black and Latin, blacks and Latinos in the firm. And at that conference, when I tell you that conference happened at the right time, because I was about to quit. And that conference, I got there, changed my life. I saw all these black partners, black senior managers. And I was like, it, it really did something for me. I was like, wow, like they're there. And they were talking about their experience. And I was like, oh, I'm not making this up. They felt it. And because they, so now, yes, there are no Blacks in Miami. I made connections with Black partners in New York, Black partners in Atlanta. And when I felt the next, I went back and I was like, why am I unassigned? I'm going to call this Black partner to call the partners in Miami to understand why is Saint unassigned? And now I had backup. I had somebody saying, this is, this is unacceptable. If you guys cannot explain it, she needs to be assigned by next week. Yeah, I think you're you hit it spot on. I think that it was a couple of years back where a lot of the accounting firms started realizing or I guess it was a push for a more diversity and inclusion for the last, what, five, 10 years, whereas they're they're really kind of starting to seeing that, hey, like you to your point, they're just hiring themselves or they're, they're working with themselves. They, maybe they'll hire, you know, hey, black hires, Hispanic hires, Asian hires, but some nine times attend they default to working with themselves. And especially in a hub like Miami, I could definitely see how, hey, if you're Cuban, hey, another Cuban person show up, yeah, you take them on their, their wing because, hey, they know pastelettos, you know, they know cafe, cafe con leche, they know, they know down the street. You feel that, you know, they're, they're you, so it's easier for you to kind of bring them in. And I used to feel the same way at Florida State University. I was the only black guy there. That's mm -hmm. probably part of the reason I didn't finish the entire thing. For the entire time that I was there, I was the only black guy. Mm. The only generally there, there might have been one black person that comes in and out in the class or something like that, like another person that might have graduated. But I was in that that bracket. It's like a time limit before you showed up, where there's yeah. just like that was me, yeah. <laughs> like that I was, was me, tough. and and you feel left out because the other people will just kind of look at you well, well I don't want to bring them into our, our crew or whatever we're doing because I don't know you know if he's gonna yeah. fit he's a good dynamic. person 
he's great. Yeah, I was like, uh, they're going out, they call their friends. They call yeah. the other ones who look like them. And you're like questioning, like, what? Do I, yeah. do I am I ugly? Am I this? <laughs> yeah, and it makes you, you know, have these internal things. And it really is a problem. And I'm actually um, pulling up this stat and from um, Bloomberg Tax and Accounting. They did it a few years back in 2017. They found that there is basically little progress for Black accountants uh, over 25 years. So if the, the if the percentage for Black accountants was a little bit under like seven, per, like nearly like 8% um, at firms, it ends up being around 9% over 25 years. Whereas other groups, because then you have to kind of like do the, the extra work, which is what auditors like ourselves do. We got to look at the details. And the details show that other groups, Hispanic groups actually grown from maybe what they were, might've been like 3.5%. Now they're as high as um, 7%. And they're climbing. So you see like their, their trajectory is moving up. Asian people, at least when they started counting them back in 2005, they were around like 9%. Now they're as high as 13%. So we're seeing a lot of um, minority other groups really thrive in this scenario. Whereas um, I guess Black, you know, Black immigrants or even Black uh, people or first generations, we're not seeing the same level of um, change and impact. So- Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Imagine, that was Here's the thing. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm giving the full answer, but that I think that's a big chunk of the answer. Um, when I I recently made manager um at my firm, and it like it hit. It like when it happened, I was like, I mean, it's natural, like after this amount of years, you're supposed to make it, but it really hit because I'm like, wow, I can't believe I stayed there that long. So here's the thing. The answer to that, why there's not that much growth, especially in those big companies, because we never stay that long. It is mind-blowing when we Blacks stay long enough to make manager in a company like this. And um, I'll say, why, why is that? In a way, even though those companies are making efforts to hire Black, they're setting them to fail when they come in. When you have this Black person who, by the way, you need to be top of the top to get recruited, to right? And then you get recruited. That means you're not this dumb person who like barely made it. You're one of the top performers at your college. And then you come in, I'm speaking for myself, I come in and then like you start questioning like, are you good enough? You start really like, I remember... Um, I'm not even going to share that one story, but like just really questioning, like, are you good enough? And I had a conversation with another black person who's from the Chicago office. We and we had to be real. We're like, why is it that the firm is hiring these top performing blacks in college and somehow they get to the firm and they're the lowest performing people? Why? Because these people are not low performing people. What is it about the firm that's making them become the lowest performing when you're looking at the entire group. And finally, we're having those conversations. It's because when Saint comes and Be Becky, whatever, when Becky comes, Becky has a partner who says, hey, I'm going to take you under my wings and I'm going to introduce you That's to this I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna introduce you to these type of clients. And um, the the clients, the the bigger clients you get exposed to, you get exposed to more complicated stuff earlier on in your career. So by year three, when you're being compared to Saint, who spent six months unassigned, they're gonna be like, Becky's a superstar. It's a no-brainer. Of course, Becky should make senior. What? Okay, let's talk about Saint. Hmm. Saint, we don't have enough reviews. Um, let's. I wonder if she, you know, she could benefit from another year because we're just not so certain if she can handle that. Bruh, these are real things that I face in my career. And when I realized what this was, I had to advocate for myself. I had to, number one, demand um, the right exposure. I don't want to work. With, and then that's the other thing. They put the people, right, like jobs that they absolutely have no no choice but to pull you in so you're doing senseless stuff that's not adding to your skills and so now again, going back to the question um so to answer this it's because one when they're hiring black they're not they're not um planning to retain black because they're not developing black enough and then two because of the discomfort blacks don't stay they're like man i don't want to do this for long I'm going to go somewhere I'm celebrated. I'm going to go somewhere else, right? And they leave. So you're like, oh, the reason there aren't enough Black partners is because Blacks don't stay. Well, it's because <laughs> you guys are sending them to therapy, okay? But um, 
now the blacks that do stay like i'm i'm here and it's a whole complete situation for me by the way i run my team i'm in charge and all this stuff i'm really celebrated in the group that i'm in but what i realized me now i need to be the voice for the new black person who joins as soon as another black person comes it's like automatically we're sis hey like let's have lunch let's have coffee and in their first week i tell them things to look out for i'm like what type of work are you getting no you need no you need to tell them you need this type of work because i know three years down the line they're gonna bring up the fact that your first year you didn't have that type of exposure so you need to ask this type of work. And if it's not happening, we're going to level. We're going to take this higher. I'm going to make sure a partner bring, comes into the picture and um, challenges this. Why is this not happening? I'm telling them early on, this person, if they're not developing you, you need to leave their teams because they have no interest in developing you. They know how to develop people. I've seen them develop people. And if they're not developing you, they don't respect you enough. You need to leave their team. I'm having this conversation with them first year in. And that's what makes a difference. It, the ones of us who stay long enough, make sure you you are like putting the younger ones on game like as soon as possible. So you set them up for a better um, experience than you are. And we'll have people who stay longer. I'm super passionate about this, guys. I'm no, <laughs> actually, I'm I'm so glad because I was beat. I was like, man, I got to make this interview today. But you saying that there's something that I've been wanting to work on. It's been like in the back of my brain like revving up this engine because I've been in um, the tech industry and um, I was the highest paid person on my team. And I fought for that. I presented information. I always tell people like, no matter what, I'm going to negotiate the heck out of whatever contract I'm going to get. And what ended up happening though was I recognized that there was something innate that that required. You had to have the level of perseverance and confidence. And what happens is when you get into a role and they beat you down, like I had one of my supervisors tell me, well, people at this particular rate does not ask for that type of thing. And I said, well, I'm not people. I understand this is the status quo, but I don't do the status quo. And so I went above him. I went above him to make sure I had a conversation with the people. I learned the language of the office. I did the work because I understood that this is my career and I'm going to chart my own course, right? And to the point, like any of my managers now, if I'm like, hey, I want to go back to corporate, it's a phone call away, right? But I understood something that I was doing. And it's one of the reasons why when I went to get my MBA, I'm so glad because I felt led within myself to go get it. But I'm going to tell you, you know how many people that says like the MBA degree does not matter. Like it's not a big deal. It's, it's a lie. You don't know how to maneuver the system. There are MBA programs that after you graduate, start you at $145,000 salary. But you don't understand that there's a whole pipeline for MBAs. So you can't just go to get an MBA anywhere. You need to search, where do I get an MBA? So it's not the degree that's the problem. It's the where you go get the degree, understanding the game that's played, understanding the landscape. So I'm always talking about us not understanding the playing field. Like we don't get the playing field. And because we don't get the playing field, like you're like, when you went to that conference, what you got was a playbook. What you got was a sponsor to have, like you said, advocate for you. But you have to understand how to grab that. So in the back of my mind, I've been having this idea of like, there's a lot of people that get online and hoop and holler about the problem. But what I loved about the way that you told the story is you gave people a playbook. This is the stuff that you need to look out for. You need, to, I tell people all the time, like there is this one girl, she was a white, um, white Caucasian woman. She was a lawyer. And she came to me one time and told me that they didn't want to give her a raise. And I'm looking like, I just got a raise with them last week. Mm -hmm. How you didn't get a raise? You do more stuff in the office. But you know what I recognize this is a question I ask everybody, whether it's in a corporate um, situation or I'm in corporate working, what's my KPIs? What do you measure success in this role by? And then I'm going to reverse engineer my projects around that KPI. Oh, you want us to plan this thing inside the office that I know that in, in a one week, it doesn't really matter to you because it's not really moving towards the company goals. 
No, I don't have, no, unfortunately I'm unavailable. I have another project that I'm working on because I know at the end of the day, being on that project doesn't lead me to a goal. So I say all of this, it's like, we need playbooks. We need initiatives that actually talk about how to get it done. We can cry, we can pout about how the system is not good, but then we need to understand how to leverage the information we have to make a difference. Whether you are at your college, you need to understand the things that are available at your college, opportunities, like the opportunities that I squandered at FIU, wasted because I did not know, I'm not about to be in your school system again and not maximize it. I don't care if I was worth $2.5 million tomorrow. I understand that there's a system being played and there's access that you need and there's internships and there's different things. So people are like, well, my degree didn't give me a job. Well, most of the people that actually had jobs, they had jobs before they even graduated because they were setting themselves up for a path to success. So yeah, you graduated, but somebody been doing internships since the last year of senior their senior year. And so of course they got the options for going forward, but we don't understand the playing field. We do nothing need to play, but we can talk about this forever, but after that, we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk. talk. I want to, I like, I feel like you were preaching at church and y'all can see me on video. I'm just like, wow, wow. We're going to, okay. Yes, 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 (laughs) yes. Like lovely. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, there's so much. Like there's because I, yeah, I see I people know. complain. We 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 and people say we gotta link up because yeah, I see the complaint, but people need to understand the playbook because p- complaining is not gonna change the game. Like the other day I, I was negotiating, I was telling Lawrence and Atlanta that and I was just like I went back and she's like, Well, this is the top is this is the highest offer that we've ever given. I'm like, Of course you did, because I want to continue to negotiate. Like I know my value, but then people don't understand how to have that language, and you're right that identity complex that we have, we need to stop thinking that it's like something that somebody's going to give to us. We need to obtain it for our own selves. Mm. It's not, not going to be given. It's something that you you have to take, something you have to behold for you within you and walk into those spaces and know who you are. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Lovely. By the way, I have a podcast that I'm kicking off at some point in November and we need to have this conversation. Lovely. I'm going to be like, and I'll just say this to, I guess, as my last thing. Um, what Lovely just did is how you promote your expertise without saying, hey, this this is what, like, pay me for this or whatever. Because I'm thinking, like, she's a consultant. Like, I, I need I need her services. Like, yeah, you, you said so much. Um, and I, I really hope whoever's listening to this, they're, like, I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes on more questions that I need to ask you, but um yeah you 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 brought it up you brought it in together perfectly like know the playbook there there are there are rules to this thing and there are people making things move behind closed doors when you're out here making noise there are like whole decisions are being made on how we're gonna spend the next 10 years of our lives on this earth without without um us even realizing and we're we're doing tentanine anyway yeah, I'm out here just sitting here because, you know, every time she says, hey, lovely, I'm going to put you on your po- I'm put you on podcast, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, OK. Uh, Lawrence is just sitting here. It's OK. It's okay. Lawrence, you already on the schedule. Let's not do this. Let's not do this. Do you know you're already on the schedule? Women, women everything. Date. I don't know Black why Lawrence Lawrence already has a date, which I need him to remember. Black men are nothing. Nah, but definitely, like, I, I love um, actually this um, conversation that we're having. And I, I definitely want to get to the point where, at least now that we know that we have to build this blueprint, we got to level up. So exactly, tell us, like, how are you leveling up? And what's um, on the the playing field for you? Because I know I've seen a lot of um, reels that you've been dropping lately, a lot of content. So can you tell us uh, more about one, where we could find you with this content? And why, what are you exactly are you doing? And what's the next steps? Yeah, so the um the IG handle is capitalized black. Um, so um, I'm sure you guys can drop it. So capitalized black, and um that's the next step for me. And um, so my experience with where I work, I got exposed to so much, and over time, like I said, I advocated for myself, got on the right teams, and saw like how um wealthy people plan. They have strategic plans for um what's next for them, and. That being said, I know the people I know, um, they don't have the money to afford the type of company I work for. So how do they set themselves up to, to really like thrive? So 
my goal is to one have those conversations make them comfortable for us blacks um talking about taxes so i try and break it down and make it like as simple as possible so you feel comfortable asking questions and knowing the right questions to ask because a lot of times we're not we don't even know the right questions to ask Some, most people are not reviewing their taxes they just sign it whenever the person prepares it so my goal is to really educate on the social media platform, but for people who want to work with me more directly, I do provide coaching for um, thriving entrepreneurs and professionals. So like when you're tapping into that career and a lot of things I didn't know and there are money that I kind of wasted because I didn't know better. I wasn't I wasn't um, setting up my retirement early because I was thinking I had, I had to have Lawrence tell me um you're going to pay tax on this money if you're not like investing it to set yourself up. Right. So having um, these conversations. So that's, that's what capitalized black is for me. My next step is to continue pushing out this, this type of content where people are learning, um, knowing better, asking the right questions and even taking it a step further to invest in themselves to, um, to, to plan that legacy. Nice, nice. And I've been seeing a lot more. Um, you just kind of hinted at it, your podcast. What's it going to be named? Like, where they, can, can they find that? Or when are you dropping it? Are you even dropping it? Are you kind of keeping it, you know, on the, on, the, on the hush hush? No, I want to have a, a list of them lined up. So I am I am recording. And um, and so, yeah, it should be coming out in November. And the reason for that, I have some other events coming up and other people's um things that I committed to. I want to make sure those are getting the right um, promotion or whatever. And then I will um, be kicking off the podcast in November. <laughs> all right. All right. I I think we we, we covered a lot. We covered the, we the idea of just kind of going from the beginning, from being like a, a household of Haitians and, and living in the U.S., from, coming from, the, from Haiti itself, making that switch and that pivot, and also kind of going all the way, matriculating through college, becoming one of the very few CPAs, down to like 2%, maybe. I don't know. You're, you're the 2%, the 15% of the 2% of some other percent. Like, you're a low bracket of people that exist. And it's, it's good to hear that you're also still um, here to give back because there's a lot of people that attain different levels and maybe because life gets more complicated or maybe just they, they don't have the same level of passion and insight to look back. But I love the fact that you're reaching back and also giving back to your community in a tangible way. And you're still definitely doing the uh, walk my shoes. Yes, we're just shifting it to make it more um, financial literacy based instead of just okay, cool. It sounds really good. It sounds really good. I, I, I thank you for your time and to actually share a little bit about your story, because I think there's a lot more to be di to dive into. And we always welcome you to come back. But I think we've already hit like a, a good hour in this conversation. We, we probably would have went for two hours if we really wanted to. And this is why I love like these financial stories, because they have almost they have everything to do with finances, but everything to do with life right? Mm -hmm. it, that's really the point. We're all living this life. It's a, it's a journey. It's a struggle. It has a lot of challenges. And meeting those challenges and, and sharing the things that work for us is actually going to impact people's lives. Uh, for myself, I'm not a big person at, uh, at networking. So uh, to hear other people advocate for themselves, I'm like, you know, that's nice. That's nice. I'm still like a staffer. I'm not even a manager at my job. But I'm definitely going <laughs> to move over, do a lat move, because I advocate for myself by doing a lat move and getting other opportunities. I'm like, you know, I'm out of here. They, they said I was too nice at my last review. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's nice. That's, that's interesting. You got them to, what? No, like everything else was excellent. Like my peer review, everything excellent, excellent, excellent. But, you know, you're, you know, in the conversation that you had with the, the auditee, you said one thing. I'm like, oh, that's the only thing. And I felt I, I took it a certain way. I, I was very salty about it. I'm still salty about it now. And they said that you were too nice. Uh, I, too lax, too nice. Love me sound like you're about to go it for them. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Like it doesn't matter. Like it's always one of those things. It doesn't matter what they say, but it's to your point that because you don't get a lot of opportunities, you don't get a lot of opportunities to shine. And eventually a lot of people either they quit emphatically and they just start a, new, a whole new career or they're like me, they end up quiet quitting. So I'm just kind of like, hey, I'm getting paid, <laughs> but it's not necessarily moving or progressing my career in any tangible way. So it's a very interesting thing that I have to eventually unpack in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna come back for that one. Yep. Everybody said, yeah, yeah, therapy, yep. therapy. We, we, we got to unpack it. Uh, this was really better. I this think, um, really yeah, go yeah, ahead, lovely. Really 
I think if you're listening to this, you're probably going to wonder like, dang, they started talking about Haiti and these school systems and they didn't, they landed into like working career. How all this connects with me today? It connects with you today because you have to also understand some level of your past, your present to understand how you want to move forward. And we want you to understand that Saint Story is not just a one-off. You could have a story that like that. You can pursue, you can push, you can grow, you can push the envelope to get what you want, even when sometimes it's literally, the, the door is a little resistant. Learn to persevere and learn to advocate yourself and sponsor, get sponsorship from people that is going to move you move you into the direction that you want to be moved into. Saint, thank you so much for being here with us, Lawrence. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening to Financial Grio. You can find us on the interwebs. And Saint, let us know where can we find you. So yes, you can find me on Instagram at Saint the CPA, Saint S-A-I-N-T-E, um, the CPA, T-H-E-C-P-A, and or um at Capitalize Black. So um, and on Facebook, I'm Saint Fanny. Um, and reach out to Lawrence, a lovely, they'll let you know where to find me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate Wait, it. I did want to say this one thing because she didn't, she never mentioned it, but she was in a pageant once. I'm just saying, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Everybody's like, what? It's out there. It's out there. <laughs> it's out there. She's a pageant person. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank awesome, you guys awesome. so much for having me. You guys have been amazing. I took so many notes, um, so many gems. And um, this podcast really is different. Um, usually when people have you over, they ask you questions. But I, it, it was really, truly a conversation. And um, I took a lot from it. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for allowing us to, uh, coming to this um, station or this podcast to have this conversation with us. So thanks again, guys. And I'm be signing out. And we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Financial Griot Podcast, powered by the Wealth Builders Collective.